so that was the night that I went from complete and total skeptic because I came from a conservative Christian household and I'm still a conservative Christian NRA member, gun carrier, church uh, volunteer, and now huge cannabis advocate. And what I'm learning is that all of those things can exist together. You're listening to Cultivate, a podcast about the people and technology that are blazing a trail in the cannabis industry. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Cultivate. Today we have a special guest from the Bovida team, the director of new business development, Charlie Rutherford. Hi, you guys look familiar. Hi, I'm Drew. Drew Scott. and Scott. 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 Yep. Okay. Drew and this Scott. is Cultivate, and you're the first inside interview. You're like the most important story behind the whole Bovida legacy in the cannabis business. So we want to hear what it was like before your accident, what happened in the aftermath, and then how you changed your viewpoint about this cannabis industry that we find ourselves in. Good. It's a fun story. Awesome. How did it all start? You got you got hurt. Well, yeah. Uh, going back to 2013, I had been with Bovida again for my second time around for about a year and change. Uh, it's a little known fact that I was one of Bovida's first salespeople 20 years ago when it started. Uh, worked there for a couple of years, left on great terms to go chase some uh, dreams that I had of racing, profess- racing rather, professional motorcycles. And um, about seven years ago, um, they came to mind because I was kind of in the middle of uh, doing nothing of consequence. And I decided I'd give the Bovida guys a call again, got in touch with them. And uh, they were kind enough to make room for me to come back on board. And then about a year and change after that, uh, as we already were really successful in cannabis, Um, I still looked at it as patients in quotation marks, caregivers in quotation marks, medicine in quotation marks. I'm thinking this is a barely legal substance and under the guise of these wacky medical laws, they're just lightly sanctioning legal use of a drug so people can get high. So I never really quite was convinced of the medical nature that cannabis could be until one day on my ride home from the office on my brand spanking new motorcycle on a lovely summer day, a careless driver decided to take a left turn into me on my motorcycle. And it crushed my leg between the car and the bike for a split second. And I had a compound segment and fracture, which means that whatever wasn't turned to dust was sticking out of my leg underneath my motorcycle boot. So um, that's not an ideal way to spend a, a summer afternoon laying on the sidewalk, writhing in pain, people gathered around, ambulances, fire trucks, ambulance showing up. And it turned out that the damage to my leg was so severe that the shorter road to recovery, the best quality of life and the best guarantee against future complications was to have my foot removed. So I went to sleep crying that night, knowing that the next day I'd have to make this decision on keep the foot, not keep the foot. And seven hours before this, my biggest decision is where will I take my then girlfriend uh, for dinner after I go mountain biking after I get home? So I um, went to sleep crying. I woke up in this mor- in the morning with this piece and this phrase going through my head over and over again saying, it's just a foot. It's just a foot. And I'm trying to have a conversation with this voice. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, but it's a foot. And it's going, no, 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 no. It's just a foot. So 
I decided uh, to uh, pursue amputation. And thankfully, there is a type of amputation that is for higher activity individuals. And there is a guy in the country that specializes in it. And he happens to be uh, based in Minnesota. So I got in touch with him and um, went forward with the amputation. So how long ago, how long was that after the accident? I had the amputation about 10 days after the accident because it happened right around the 4th of July holiday. So the doctor who I consulted to do the amputation was going on vacation. So we ended up having a party, like a five-day party in the I keep calling it a hotel room because I was there long enough. (laughs) The hospital room, yeah. (laughs) The hospital room. uh, And uh, it was a hotel room, and it was the worst food ever. This was a party that was a going-away party for your foot? That's right. Because we said after, set up a Facebook page and everything and said, after 36 years of faithful service, we're going to have to say goodbye. So it's your last chance to come on down, get your picture taken with the foot um, and bid it farewell. So that's what it turned out to be. It was going to be a story of fun. It was not going to be a a sad kind of thing. It was going to be a celebration of the foot's life and uh, we're going to make it a good time. So I just about had anybody that I'd ever known come through that hospital room and get their picture taken with the foot and um, just, um, yeah, had a really good time with it. So the foot gets removed, and I then have a understanding about what phantom limb pain really is for somebody's life. And phantom limb pain, for anybody who doesn't know, is pain in a limb that doesn't exist. And as real as I sit here right now speaking on this microphone, my left shoe, my brain thinks it has a foot in it, and it thinks that it's being dipped in lava. That's how it feels almost all the time. So I have this burning sensation every moment of every day of my life, no matter what I'm doing. And it becomes a little bit of a distraction at night when you're trying to sleep. So I didn't want to go down the road that the doctors led me down, which was one oxycodone turns into two, turns into three, turns into me knocking over the local 7-Eleven to support a smack habit based on the way those things usually go. So they prescribed opiates for you coming out of the Uh, surgery? Half a dozen of them. Along and, with some, and, and there's an argument that it's about as major as it gets to have a limb removed. So you've got plenty of pain to justify having the opiates. Absolutely. There's real pain because your legs, of course, healing and atrophying from being sliced in half, cut, cut open and then sewn back up. So there was very real pain going on for a long time. But then that, once that subsided and I, and I have, get a prosthesis and I'm mountain biking again, I'm skiing, I'm golfing, I'm doing all these things. I just have this phantom limb pain. So the real pain was replaced by a pain that uh, in a limb that isn't there anymore. So that is something that I deal with daily. And the increasing amounts of oxycodone that I was taking only for sleeping began to not work for me. And I didn't want it. So I tried three one night, didn't work. Tried three the next night. So how long into the process did you start noticing this? I would say that it was probably about 12 weeks. So I was walking at about nine. Uh, there was st- phantom sensations, but the real phantom pain probably didn't kick in for about three months. And uh, so that that third oxycodone one night doesn't work. The next night I figure, okay, now I'm tired enough. I didn't sleep last night. I'm in pain. I'll sleep tonight. Three. Didn't sleep. 
okay, the next day I come to the office. And I mean, the lack of sleep will make you delirious. The lack of sleep is horrible on the human body and the brain. So I think it was the fourth night of trying to take my third one and not wanting to take that fourth one that I did. I took that third one again. And so that fourth night I didn't sleep again because even the fatigue of not hardly sleeping for four days was not enough to be able to get me to sleep. Uh, so I, I think on that fifth day, I said, I can't do this anymore. This is dangerous uh, for my mental stability, which is casual relationship with it anyway. And uh, for my quality <laughs> of life, because I couldn't live the rest of my life getting 15 minute naps uh, at night. What so, does the doctor recommend? More of it. More. More. Oh, it didn't work. Take but more. you've consciously gotten to a place where you you see what's going on. Well, I know me and I know that I like getting really super deep into something. And if that also applied to opiates, that wasn't a road I wanted to go down. Mm. So I've, by virtue of being close enough to the cannabis world and also being a sentient human being that you cannot miss the reality of the opioid crisis in this country... I had to have the conversation with myself. Do you want to go down this road or do you want to explore another road? And I said, I'm going to explore another road because at the time in Minnesota, there wasn't a medical cannabis program. So even if there had been any doctors willing to talk about it, which there, there very, are very few here in Minnesota, there would have been nowhere for me to legally go. And so I had to get in touch with some people that I'd made friends with in the business because we were very successful in the cannabis world. And I said, listen, I am a cannabis skeptic. It goes against everything I've ever been taught and everything that I've ever believed on my own. But I'm desperate. I haven't slept in five days. I have constant pain. I need pain relief and sleep. Can you help? And that night, I became a believer because my cannabis experience followed a very simple five-step process. In high school, I'd have fun for five minutes, I'd get paranoid, eat everything in sight, and then throw up. I guess that's four steps, but that was the <laughs> that was my experience with cannabis. So how, when that is my frame of reference, could I ever believe that thing that made me paranoid and throw up, that is my answer, but that's how desperate I was. And so that night, I uh, put everything together, some flour and a grinder and... Uh, and a vaporizer. And so I ground it up. I put it in the vaporizer and took a puff, set it down, waited 10 minutes. Okay, I get it. All right, this isn't scary. I'm not afraid of this. I can feel something happening here. It's kind of nice. Take a puff, set it down, wait 10 minutes. Okay, oh, I get it. All right, yeah, this is... And it felt, Drew, like there were little shields going into my body and keeping the pain from getting from one spot to another it was magical and then by the third puff i set it down wow okay i'm tired now turn off the tv and that eight hours was the best eight hours i have ever gotten of sleep so thankfully so that was the night that i went from complete and total skeptic because i came from a conservative christian household and i'm still a conservative christian nra member gun carrier church uh, volunteer and now huge cannabis advocate. And what I'm learning is that all of those things can exist together. 
And uh, in some ways, it's allowed me to have very authentic conversations with people from each of those different worlds that wouldn't normally be disposed to supporting cannabis. But they're going, okay, you're a relatively normal guy and you have some of the same interests that I do that don't usually get associated with cannabis uh, and oftentimes not at the exact same time. And so it's been able, I've been able to change the minds of people who uh, had been against this in the past. When you also created some relationships along the way, one that does a lot of good for people with pain, uh, the relationship you have with Grow for Vets and with Roger from uh, Martin from Grow for Vets, that's a relationship that we've become attached to as a company. And that's largely because of your shared experience with what those guys go through. Do you get asked a lot when you're out in public if you served? Because people presume that because you're missing a limb or have a prosthesis that that you were uh, in the service? That's the number one question that I get. Yeah, I, they always ask, did you lose that in the war? Are you a veteran? And I, uh, I used to have a funny remark to it, but it for one split second made it sound like I could be a soldier and I never wanted to take any of that valor away from the people who really did. So I used to say that I lost it in battle with a motorcycle and for saying lost it in battle for that split second, somebody may have thought that I was a veteran uh, and I didn't want that. So no, I just tell, now I just tell them that uh, it was motorcycle related. How about stupid things that people say when they, t- cause I know when I first uh, talked to you about losing your leg, I mean, it's inconceivable for me. I mean, and you could probably not have even imagined the process that you've gone through. I can't, I mean, it's just, I can't relate to it. You so, got to explain uh, or tell the viewers your uh, license plate. Ah, well, the first license plate that I got, uh, I, I always like personalized license plates. I've got a wall in, uh, in a room in my house that's got everyone that's been on a car. And so the first one that I got after losing my foot uh, was just a foot. Uh, J-U-S, no, it was, yeah, it was J-U-S-T-A-F-T, so just a foot. Uh, and so once I got a different car, it needed a different license plate. And so now it says IHOP. And I looked at it and I'm thinking, International House of Pancakes. Why, <laughs> why would a guy put that on his license plate? And then it's because you hop. Hop, yes. Yeah, I hop <laughs> I'm my pretty sharp butt that to way. the bathroom. But you asked the question about what life is like. And wintertime is the hardest time for me. And it's not because of cold or anything like that. It's that wearing pants covers my prosthesis. So when I park in handicapped parking, which I always do, I get a lot of crap for it. Even when I'm wearing shorts and people could very well see my leg, I still get crap. And now I get it a lot more in the wintertime because I've got jeans on. Yeah. So uh, over the course of the time you've been with Bovida, you had an opinion about cannabis. Your mind was changed, obviously, out of necessity for the pain that you were going through. You've seen a lot of stories uh, in the process of going to all these trade shows and being involved in the medical community. Um, where where do you think this is going and, and uh, how long are we going to wait before? I mean, we've got some pretty low-key uh, laws in Minnesota that don't have easy access to cannabis, uh, even on a medical level. So what do you where do you think it is and where do you think it's going? Well, the cannabis uh, program here in Minnesota uh, is very, very restrictive. Uh, it started out with only eight qualifying conditions and pain was not one of them. All of the delivery methods are non-flower, so it's pills, oils, or tinctures. Uh, uh, And so they did their best to make it expensive, difficult to find a doctor, and um, 
uh, also difficult to access. So if and when it fails here in Minnesota, unfortunately, it's going to be blamed on cannabis not being an effective medicine uh, when the way that they wrote the laws uh, here is had, had doomed it from the beginning. So where do I think it's going? I think that at some point, someday, uh, the American public will have it admitted to them that the cannabis is bad, cannabis is horrible, cannabis fries your brain, cannabis is dangerous, will be revealed as one of the biggest lies perpetrated on the American public. And it'll be unfortunate because hundreds of thousands of people have died over this stupid lie that what we prescribe you um, is more safe, even though it'll kill you, than this flower is that has never killed anyone. And so I think that... Obviously, the pressure is very high for the government to be talking now about the opioid crisis, but the thing that they're leaving out is one of the main solutions. I mean, we all know, uh, anybody who pays a little bit of attention to the cannabis world knows that states that have medical cannabis programs have, a tw have lowered uh, the number of overdoses by 25%. Well, that's a big darn deal when we're talking about the volumes of people that are being hurt by the pharmaceutical industry. So that's part of what I was taken in by years ago when I had a skepticism about cannabis because it's only a certain type of person. They look a certain way, they vote a certain way, they have certain activities. And that was my impression of what a cannabis user uh, or patient look like? Well, that's not the case uh, now that I've seen it from the other side. And so I think that someday we're going to shake our heads and go, man, how many hundreds of lives could have been saved? How many, how, the, how many millions of lives could have had a better quality if we would have allowed them access to something that's completely safe? That's awesome. So just to get really specific, because everybody always wonders what, what you prefer personally and how you've experimented with different uh, types of uh, ingestion or types of application of, of cannabis. Uh, can you talk about strains or sativas, indicas, what it is that gives you the relief that you appreciate from, from the plant? Yeah, when it was flower, um, the medicine man out of Colorado has purple urkel that was magical still is magical but uh it's a bit dangerous to travel from colorado to minnesota with an ounce of flour in your dop kit which happened a couple times um <laughs> it was more than the uh statute of limitations though whatever that is and so now <laughs> so now um i still use some oils that are more of indica dominant uh, but a little bit higher in CBD because, once again, I'm the world's lamest cannabis user because I still, to this day, have not had fun. I've, st I've still not You're not doing tried it to it. get high. Yeah, and I've never done it during the day because I'm afraid, will I get paranoid? Will I get tired? Uh, so I put up with a pain during the day. I try to stay distracted, and then it's at night that I have, have something to use. Um, and I forget the strain name of what I'm using now, so I guess I won't be much help there. But that is also something that I got... Uh, at Medicine Man in Denver. So you've tried the flour, you've tried, you, you've uh, vaporized the oil. Um, have you done edibles? 
Uh, I I have done edibles one time and it happened to be on a flight and I probably won't do that again uh, because I lost my mind. I mean, I was fine, but I felt like a total knucklehead. Um, but I got great relief for a number of hours. It's just that I didn't quite have my wits about me like I liked it. You got relief to it. symptoms you didn't know you had. That's right. <laughs> and I know suppositories are one of the options too, but I have a voluntary allergy to suppositories. So I'm not going down that road. no. No, so um, a number of us at Boveda feel strongly about the opioid epidemic, and um, we were talking earlier, even the word opioid sounds so sterile and so distant from just how central it is to the society these days, the number of people people that are suffering, um, the number of people that uh, wind up dead because of overdose. Um, it's a really big deal, so I, I have a tremendous appreciation for where you're coming from, what your uh, uh, attitude was before you had your uh, issue with your leg and, and the fact that cannabis works. And who am I to deprive you of the right to have access to that solution when the alternative is for you to be hooked on something that's potentially going to kill you? So, Can you explain how his story kind of influenced your coming yeah to i mean it, it was an, it was an odd uh it was a sort of an odd uh u-turn that we had a couple of conversations where they just were all over the place um i got introduced to boveda at uh cigar jones and the headquarters of boveda was downstairs from cigar jones i went down and met the owners and i, I they suggested that i meet you and we had a chat and um i really connected with you personally and for me, um, it was an opportunity because I've got a history with uh, cannabis consumption as a young man. Um, it was a part of my party signature. Um, and when I stopped drinking and doing other mood-altering substances, cannabis was one of them so that I, that I didn't participate in anymore. So it was awkward for me because I had this opinion, a, a relatively blinded attitude about it, until I heard your story. And it really caused me to rethink my approach uh, as we started doing things together. Uh, you got me involved in, in promoting some of the Boveda events and uh, reaching out to some of the people in the cannabis community. And I never imagined I'd be doing that. I mean, what's a former uh, party uh, enthusiast doing uh, out there calling on the cannabis market? But it's been really uh, edifying to be out there and to meet the people that are truly getting served by this, the, the opportunity to address things naturally. And um, I can't thank you enough for that opportunity. So you're the, you're the reason I'm here to some degree. Well, I guess that's another reason then that uh, another good reason that I lost my foot because it was the second best day of my life. And, um, and that is another reason why. Uh, Boveda makes a big deal out of Halloween. And uh, this year you went uh, all out and... Uh, I don't know how you possibly came up with the idea. It was just so creative, Charlie. What what were you what were you for for Halloween? Oh, it was begging begging to be done, and it, I fulfilled really the lifelong destiny of uh, the perfect costume. Uh, so, what do you think of when you think of uh, an amputee? You think of peg leg, and when you think of peg leg, what do you think of? You think pirate, right? And so I had to be a pirate this year, finally. I've never really been a big Halloween guy. I, I totally was the party pooper last year in the Boveda office. I was the only one that didn't dress up. Even the people that I thought for sure wouldn't did. They were the best costume. So I really had to 
got to make up for it this year. And so I dressed up as a pirate. I went out to the uh, uh, theatrical costume supply company here, and <laughs> I rented this very um, authentic and exquisite pirate's costume. I talked to my prosthetist who made me a peg that I detached my regular carbon fiber foot and put this peg on it. I And it had a rubber stopper at the bottom. I wrapped it in duct tape, wood duct tape, so it looked like wood. The costume had a, uh, had a parrot, a stuffed parrot on it. And I brought a treasure chest full of doubloons. That was fabulous. I mean, you <laughs> went, you, you absolutely went all out. And I, I have a feeling we'll probably find an image that we can fly into this and yeah, uh, show that. It was, quite, that a, it was quite an outfit. You won well, first you. place. I did win first. I tied for first place, oh. which is just exactly the same as a win because I was standing on the top, top step of the podium. You were with your national anthem <laughs> playing. It was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. We're very competitive about our costumes here at Bovida. Uh, Charlie, thanks for your story. And uh, let's jump into hashtag ask Bovida. We've got a question from at Cecil Gaines. Um, either one of you can answer this. I don't seem to get as much keef since I started using Bovida. Should I switch to the 58% instead of the 62%? Oh, Cecil Gaines. Yes. W- you're, you're, what's keef? Your keef uh, exists because your flower is, uh, was dry enough where the trichomes broke off. And that's usually going to happen around the 50 area, 50% humidity area. So when your flower gets too dry, those trichomes break off. And yes, they become really, really handy and other stuff. But for the remaining flower, it reduces their therapeutic value. So you aren't getting as much keef when you're using Bovida because those trichomes are staying on there. And so you can get better use out of your flower. Now, you may like Keef and the things that you can use it for. That's great if you want that to happen. You're just probably going to be the 58, but it's, that's still going to be sticky enough where they're going to stay on there. So you'll probably actually need to torture the flower and leave it out dry with no, uh, no bovida in it at all to get it dry enough for the trichomes to break off. Or, um, you know, use a machine to, to kind of physically rip those poor little trichomes off while they're screaming in pain. Can you imagine what a tri- trichome sounds like when it gets yanked off? It's probably a really high pitch. I've scream. never, I've never uh, considered what a trichome sounds like when it's being ripped off. That's fantastic, though. I'm <laughs> and and I've never that. done cannabis during the day. That's nice. the shocking thing. Outstanding. Not even today. <laughs> Not even today. Yeah. It's yeah. been at least 12 hours, 14 hours. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, I think that's it. This has been another episode of Cultivate from Bovida. Scott, what should people do if they have questions? If you guys have any questions about this podcast, previous ones, or just any questions in general, tweet us, Instagram, Facebook, hashtag AskBovida. You can find us at Bovida Cannabis on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you. Thank you.